Tim Beckham keeps on slugging. The Red Sox are 0-1. And Chris Sale struggling a little bit yesterday. Zach Granke didn't look very good. Trey Turner stole three bases. We're going to talk about it all. Welcome to the show, everybody. On Friday, March 29th, this is Fantasy Baseball Today. I am Adam Azer. I have so many notes to get to today. It's going to be quite a challenge. Uh, Scott White, hello to you. Who is the one player that you can't wait to talk about today? Chris Sale. I think there's a lot to dig into there. I wrote about him last night, and uh, we'll get into it, hopefully. Heath Cummings, who's the one player you can't wait to talk about? We had a middle infielder hit two home runs off a very good starting pitcher, and I cannot wait to talk about Enrique Quique Hernandez. <laughs> okay, I guess you maybe you like it more than Tim Beckham. That's our first segment, by the way, the double dongs. And Chris Towers, who are you burning to talk about? Uh, Madison Bumgarner. Did you know he dated a girl named Madison Bumgarner in co- high school? No way. Isn't that fun? That's not true. I think it's true. Yep, I've heard that before. Really? Oh, interesting. See? Bumgarner. I mean, you doubt me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's true, but I have heard it before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So fun day, fun opening day. I don't know. Not actually, honestly, not that fun. I probably would have said it, it was, was fun. really fun. It was it not was that baseball fun. all day. Oh, okay. That doesn't by itself make it fun. Every time I turn around, there's another dong. It was super fun. <laughs> you had on, the major Yankees league fan. debuts of Eloy Jimenez and Fernando Tatis, future Hall of Famers. Pete Alonzo. Luke Voigt reached base four times, future Hall of Famer. Greg Bird hit a home run. We won't talk about the rest of the game. Uh, apparently one of his strikeouts was a bad call. All right, let's start with the, do- the double dogs. <laughs> All right, listen, Tim Beckham's off to an amazing start. He went two for five. He homered twice off Chris Sale. I think this next stat I'm going to give is probably scarier for Sale than it is encouraging for Beckham. Uh, Beckham entered the game 0 for 15 with nine strikeouts against Chris Sale, and he hit two taters against him. So now Beckham is hitting 583 with three home runs, one double, two walks, no strikeouts so far in three games. This is a guy who's always had bad plate discipline. And, okay, you know what? Let's throw Kike Hernandez in there. He also hit two home runs. The Dodgers set an opening day record with eight home runs. It's an MLB record, not a Dodgers record. And uh, two of them were from Kike Hernandez. So, Heath, I'll start with you. Which infielder would you rather have? Do you want either one? They're both available in more than 50% of leagues. Tim Beckham and Kike Hernandez. I had actually already picked up Kike Hernandez in a couple of deeper, deeper leagues after uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago that he was actually the starting second baseman for this team. We know that he absolutely crushes left-handed pitching. I don't think there's any doubt about that. These home runs did not come off of left-handed pitching. If he gets a chance to play every day, I'm more excited about Kike Hernandez. As far as Beckham goes, it's not like this is the first time we've seen something like this from him. In 2017, August of 2017, he had a three-game stretch where he homered in all three games. He finished the month of August in 2017 with a 1062 OPS. His OPS the two months, the month before and after that, 530 and 603. But the difference is he struck out twice in those three games. <laughs> so this is totally different. 
Uh, well, I mean, I still think it's we're talking about Tim Beckham now. Um, it, it, I think it's worth mentioning that he that the play absolutely better, right. Yeah, it's absolutely worth mentioning that he's hit three home runs in three games and hasn't struck out. Um, but it's Tim Beckham, and there has been what what I will say is it is possible that he became this totally different hitter in the offseason and is now a fantasy relevant player. He was a former number one overall pick. The physical tools presumably have always been there for this kind of uh, potential breakout, but you know we were having this discussion about Matt Davidson last year, and now he's a pitcher. So I'm not <laughs> like it, it would just require it would have required Tim Beckham to make such a drastic change in his skill set to be fantasy relevant that I don't think you can expect it. There was just there was yeah. no sign of this in his skill set prior. So do you like Enrique Hernandez better, too? Much more. Scott, looking at the ownership percentages. Yeah. Uh, Scott, we have Beckham at 43%. We have Kike Hernandez at 35%. Do either of them strike you as under-owned? And then I'm going to start asking, who would you drop? Would you drop DJ LeMahieu for one of these guys? Uh, for Kike? Yeah, I think I would. And I, I do think Kike is one of the most under-owned players. I, I do like... Uh, Jeff McNeil more. I do like Brandon Lau, who's even less owned. I like him more, but I mean Hernandez definitely has power. It's it's verified. He has shown improvement against righties. I don't know that he's going to play quite every day. I think Chris Taylor's presence will interfere from time to time. But I think if you're talking about a standard roto lineup with the extra middle infield spot, the extra out, two outfield spots, uh, the that's not enough reason to avoid picking up Hernandez. Okay, one word answer from everybody. You've got one second to figure it out. You don't get another chance at this. Do you drop Yoan Moncada for Kike Hernandez? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Yoan Moncada had a really promising first game. That was not one second. Or one Coming word. off of a very promising spring training. Yeah, he no. walked yesterday. There's a lot to like. What, what else did no. he do yesterday that was so promising? Uh, he saw 11 pitches, did not swing and miss at any of them, uh, was more aggressive, which has been probably his main problem, and he hit, I believe both of his batted balls were above 95 miles per hour or in that range. Uh, there is no question that Yohan Mankata still has tremendous upside. This is, you know, he was 82nd percentile in hard hit rate ladder, or Exit velocity last year, 89th percentile on sprint, sprint pers- Okay, in the morning, I guys. get it. Sprint he, speed. He, he had a good game. <laughs> uh, oh. All right, well, yeah. Okay, great. So don't drop Yoan Moncada. I wish I had some Yoan Moncada. I do not. Um, Scott, other double dogs. Would you say Yoan Moncada? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Scott, Jock Peterson hit two home runs. This is a guy who had an 894 OPS against righties last year, but a 513 OPS against lefties with one home run. And Colton Wong mm-hmm. hit two home runs. Are Peterson and Wong anything more than just start maybe start him against righties types of players? Yeah, I don't I'm not presuming any kind of value change for them based on the fact that they homer twice on opening day. I don't expect Peterson to play much at all against lefties. So he has value in like daily leagues, leagues where you set your lineup daily and can play the matchups that closely. But in a standard weekly league, it's, I, I think it's pretty hard to even roster him, uh, because the playing time's going to be so sporadic like that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, it's kind of annoying, really, the way they decided to bat him lead off. 
when they had other viable options there. And, and the fact that he homered twice, I don't think we're going to see that change anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I would have rather seen somebody like A.J. Pollock there at the top of the lineup for the Dodgers. Yeah, I was surprised by that. Yes, you may, Chris. Why was Jock Peterson going 130 spots after Kyle Schwarber? Uh, it's a good comparison. I do think it's similar. Yeah. yeah. They had the exact, like, literally the exact same season last year. If anything, Jock Peterson might have been a tiny bit better. Have the Cubs said for sure that Schwarber's not going to play against Lemons? He didn't yesterday. Yeah, and he yeah. didn't last year. I, I don't. I just don't know why we would expect that to be different than how the Dodgers use. I just knew that there was an out a statement from the Dodgers, which could have been part. I'm not justifying it. Mm-hmm. I had them back to back in my rankings. Well, but the fact that they came out and said Peterson's not going to play against lefties. Sure, but I, I think that that difference in ranking and difference in ADP for the industry existed all throughout the offseason. Okay, uh, well, I was going to say there are probably three players that come to mind immediately that are great in daily leagues. If you can just start them against righties, Peterson, Schwarber, and eventually Shohei Otani. I'm sure there are more, but those are you know three that just came to mind just now. And finally, guys, are we feeling a little nervous that we spent a lot of time calling Javier Baez a bust? He was going too early. We thought he was more like a late third-round pick or something. He was going in the second round. Um and he went two for five with two home runs. He batted cleanup. He says he feels more confident at the plate. He's being smarter and has yeah. a plan at the plate. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. I, I don't like I don't like this idea that if one of your bust picks isn't an outright disaster, that somehow the process was flawed. I, when you're when you're choosing somebody an early round pick like that as a bust, it's with the idea that Okay, we know what the upside is. It's very high. But you're passing up other second and third rounders for him. And you know, there's more risk there than those other second or third rounders. It doesn't mean... Like, I, I did draft Baez in the podcast league because he went to the fourth round. You know? Like, right. there comes a point where the risk is worth it. There's more risk for him than other players in that same range. So if he ends up following it up, following up his 2018 with a similar 2019, I... I I don't know. I, I don't feel like I don't feel like the argument was unjustified. And no, uh, of course like not. We messed up in some and way. He, he still had four swinging strikes, including two on pitches, basically in the dirt. So it's not like like he might be more confident, and it's only one game. But it's not like he looked like a totally different player. There's always going to be that in his game, and there's always going to be an inherent volatility because of it. That's why we called him a bust. It's not that we don't like him. It's that the profile that he brings to the table brings along more bust potential than you would otherwise think for a guy drafted in the 15 to 20 range. So what is it about Javi Baez that makes you hate him? <laughs> is that like a Baez joke or something? Such a trolly comment. But... No, Chris, no, we had saying. Like, we, we had <laughs> multiple people on Twitter like, oh, great to listen to my favorite fantasy baseball podcast that hates Javier Baez. Multiple people? I, I saw one. There were two. Uh, I'm sure you block. <laughs> I'm sure you block both of them. Okay. We did uh, get another request to be unblocked. Yeah, we did. By Chris. I will. I will say notes. that one was because he snitch tagged. Snitch tagging is not allowed. I don't. I would ask what is snitch tagging, but it was opening day yesterday, and we have more to talk about, <laughs> including the terrible aces like Chris Sale and Zach Greinke. Miles Michaelis did not get off to a good start, and Blake Snell didn't get off to a good start. We'll talk about them. I do need to know: Are there any must-add players? Heath, I'll throw it to you. Any players that you think? They're out there. I'm getting them right now. 
I mean, I think we talked about one, and that was Enrique Hernandez. I, I look in your notes, and I didn't realize this guy was below 70% ownership, and I thought he should be drafted. So I'll say Domingo Santana as well. I think he had an ADP around 280 when we started talking about him earlier this spring. It was 220 by the end of draft season, so I just assumed he was owned in most leagues. But Domingo Santana and Enrique Hernandez should Hernandez for sure in any categories league where you need a middle infielder. So Santana, 69% owned. Kristen Stewart is 72% owned. I know Stewart had a bad spring, but, you know, 10 walks of 13 strikeouts in 17 games last year. That's pretty good. And he homered yesterday against the Blue Jays. Who would you guys rather have, Kristen Stewart or Domingo Santana? Santana for sure. Yeah, I mean, Stewart, they they have similar problems in that they strike out too much, uh, but at their best. They'll both walk a lot. The difference is Santana's had a year in the majors where everything went right already. And he has some stolen base potential. He has struck out five times in his 16 plate appearances so far. So I think in a three outfielder points league, there's still a good chance he's not. You know, it's hardly an open and shut case. But there is something to be said for he's the guy who's attracting the most attention on the waiver wire right now. So if you have a spot to play with, there is the chance he breaks out. It'd be nice if you're the one who has them in your back pocket. Yeah, and right now I have a lot of free roster spots because guys went on the DL, so I don't have to drop anyone. And I think, I know he's not, I know he didn't strike out a lot of guys. I know he faced the Giants. But I think Eric Lauer looked like someone that maybe could be on a deeper roster and, you know, stream when the matchups are good. And I think considering he faces the Giants and the Diamondbacks, I think he has the Diamondbacks next week. Eric Lauer is someone that I added. In fact, I actually dropped Brett Gardner, who I was just using, uh, you know, out of desperation. And he's already locked in my lineup. So he was in your Lank- Yankee spot. Your actually, lineup. I wanted Cole Calhoun, and my partner, Jamie Eisenberg, made me t- get Brett Gardner. So um, <laughs> just to throw that out there. But, yeah, I, I picked up Eric Lauer. Um, Jordan Zimmerman, 14% owned. i got to ask you about him. He had a perfect game going into the seventh inning. In fact, I have a stat about that. He had a perfect game through six and two-thirds. That is the longest bid for a perfect game on opening day since Lefty Grove in 1940. That's according to the Elias Sports Bureau. But he did have an encouraging spring. Scott, you wrote about Jordan Zimmerman. Unfortunately, he's at the Yankees next week. But (laughs) any interest in a 14% owned Jordan Zimmerman? No, I mean, he did have an encouraging spring. It was largely strikeouts that were encouraging. And there was a case made by a couple of the beat writers. Oh, he's, he's this changed pitcher. He's introducing a changeup for the first time. He threw a changeup once in this game. What he did change is that he, he, he cut way down on his fastball use. And I think particularly against a young lineup like the Blue Jays have, um, that, that can that can be a path to success, but I don't think it's something you can bank on happening consistently. Um, and the fact he wasn't missing many bats in this start, I, well, I'm just I'm just not that interested. He was he missing bats. Twelve swinging strikes. Yeah, that's the thing. On he, 70. right? Twelve swinging strikes. Yeah, Sorry to talk over you. Twelve. Twelve on seventy pitches. Okay. Yeah. On seventy pitches. That's and, a great rate for Zimmerman. Yeah, and and that this is I think going to be a theme with a couple of other pitchers that we talk about. He's doing the old man thing where he just basically ditches his fastball as a primary pitch. And we have seen guys succeed that way um, when their stuff is declining. So it's possible. I'm not I'm not rushing out to add Jordan Zimmerman, but in a deeper no. in a deeper league, sure, it's a pitcher. 
Nobody knows what's going to happen with pitchers. And I don't, I don't know that I fully recognized how bad this Blue Jays lineup is. Yeah. Brandon Drury is their leadoff hitter. They, Lord Escurriel, we picked him up in a couple of leagues because he has a little bit of excitement. He's hitting fifth. <laughs> this is a terrible, very bad lineup. Yeah, there are definitely is, some is, bad ones out is there. Is Brandon Drury a punchline now? I mean, last going into last year, we were kind of excited about him, right? He's fine. He's he's not. I don't think he's a leadoff hitter. He's not leadoff hitter caliber for a major league baseball team. I don't think. Uh, I'm with you. There's some untapped potential there, Scott. I think this is not. We might be talking more positively about Brandon Jury at some point. Um, All right, and then I'm interested to get your thoughts on Carlos Rodon. We'll talk about him a little bit later, but the strikeouts were there yesterday, and that was nice to see. All right, we got to talk about the bad aces. Who are you more concerned? Who are you most concerned about? Or rank them in terms of your level of concern. Chris Sale, Zach Greinke, Miles Michaelis, Blake Snell. Can I just say Blake Snell, we're not concerned? I'm I'm not sure why we wouldn't be concerned about Snell, but would be about the other guys. Because I'm Snell's not concerned about better. any of them really. Because Snell's better. Right. You know we've got two weeks of this doesn't actually matter coming from Chris. Oh, well, you, but, you remember this time of year. Well, no, but it's also like we should have baked into, and I, I hope we did bake in the possibility that Blake Snell wouldn't keep the command improvements that he did. So if yesterday was the start of something, it shouldn't be totally shocking to you. Well, hold on. I, I said Snell's better. I, that That's for Michaelis and Granke. I can't say he's better than Chris Sale. But look, Sale had the shoulder issue last year. Velocity was way down. Came out, struck out the side in the first inning, was throwing like 94. Velocity went down pretty much immediately after that, but not like super down, like 92 area, and he got crushed. Um, Michaelis, look, I was concerned about Michaelis because you don't see a guy with that kind of strikeout rate have that kind of a year. You just don't. I know... You thought maybe some people thought maybe his strikeout rate would go up and still might, but he had a bad start. Granky, obviously, you know how I felt about Granky, and this was an awful start. But Scott, how about you? How about tell me who you're most concerned about on this list, and let's let's really dive into these guys now. I think it's fair to be the most concerned about Chris Sale, um, but I'm about to flip it, so so stick with me. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, his From his peak before the shoulder injury last year, his average fastball velocity in this start was down like five miles per hour, which is a startling drop and normally would be reason to be freaking out over a pitcher. But I I think there are a couple misconceptions really fueling the concern here, the level of panic over Chris Sale. And one of them is that this is unintentional, the drop in velocity, when it's pretty clear the Red Sox had a plan this spring to um to kind of limit how uh to kind of to kind of limit how hard he threw the ball i mean there there were articles written about how he would be throwing off a mound and somebody would be measuring the velocity readings and and warding him when he got over a certain point they were intentionally trying to dial back the velocity for chris sale which kind of seemed like the case after he returned from the shoulder injury last year. He originally came off the DL, he was throwing 98, went right back on the DL, came back and was throwing much softer. The other misconception is that it's that important to how good of a pitcher he is, and, and usually it is, but I, I think he's such a freak and has so many things going for him that it isn't. If you look at his track record, there have been wild fluctuations in velocity throughout. Normally there's kind of like a steady decline over the course of a pitcher's career, career but sale has been up and down last year was actually the hardest he's ever thrown on average 
And while it, it did lead to career best ratios, you look at a year like 2016 when his average fastball velocity for the entire season was only a mile per hour more than it was yesterday, obviously with starts mixed in where it was exactly like yesterday. And he was still an ace in fantasy. Again, the ratio's a little worse than normal, but he was fifth in AL Cy Young voting, and he was people's ace in Does, fantasy. Doesn't so sound I, like I, you're worried, Scott. It, <laughs> doesn't sound like you're worried. It, no. It lowers his... Uh, like. I don't think the fact that he's doing it on purpose means it's not a concern. Though. It's a bad idea. I don't... Uh, well, it I it will make him out, a worse pitcher. Right, but he was a worse pitcher in 2016 than he has been. Still, he was an ace. Like, I, I'm not that concerned about what level of ace-dom my ace falls in, as long as he's delivering ace results. And the thing is, like, it's that's just if he stays where he is. The plan is for him to increase velocity from here, particularly later in the season. Uh, but right. if he doesn't, I don't think you're talking about a disaster pick. I would rank them and on yes. the worryometer. Uh, since you asked us to rank them, yeah. Chris Sale at like a 2.5 out of 10, Zach Grinky at a 2.25, Blake Snell at a 1.5, and Miles Michaelis at a 0.5. And I mean, there are varying degrees of how bad these guys were. Seven innings and three runs is considerably worse than five runs and six innings. And I think the degree of difficulty, especially for Michaelis, I mean, he really, he gave up six base runners in five innings. He gave up some very hard hit home runs. Mike Moustakas launched his. Uh, but it's a, one of the best lineups in the entire National League and the worst pitcher's park for Michaelis. So. And a, a one game sample. I mean, right. His first start this year, Michaelis gave up three home runs at Milwaukee. You know what he did in yes. his first start last year? Yes. He gave up three home runs at Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Maybe you should Clearly sit Miles Michaelis at Milwaukee. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, and, okay, so Miles Michaelis, you guys don't sound too concerned. But I do think Zach Ranky, you know, he was, he was serving up some meatballs yesterday. So here, <laughs> he looked, I, I want to give, bad. I want to give a piece of advice. And I, I'm, I'm going to write a piece that later today that talks a little bit about that. But if what happened on opening day and really the first week or two or three of the season, if what happens, confirms what you already believed coming in, you should work really, really hard to look for reasons why it shouldn't. This is the no fun police. You know what you should do if the th thing that you really thought was going to happen happens the first month? Take all the victory laps you can and celebrate happily. Well, yeah, if you're if you're <laughs> trying to be a personality. If you're, Just enjoy it. If we're actually talking about fantasy analysis, though, and I, I look, I'm not going to I'm not going to make anyone not celebrate the things they were right about because I'm going to do it myself when Pablo Lopez goes out and throws seven shutout innings on Saturday. Right. Just tell me but, how you feel about Zach Greinke, please. Exactly the same as I did before. Which this. is what? He should be good, but there's a lot of risk. Okay. What's the risk exactly? He's 35 years old. I, okay. I mean, I laid out... What, his velocity in this start was about exactly where it was for all of April last year. It just so seems like he was like fooling no one. Yeah, but this is troubling. He has starts like that. Everybody does. I think this was the um, second time but, this decade that he's given up four home runs in a game. So, I mean, this was a bad start. Everybody has bad starts. This was a really bad start for him. And But it's also worth noting that the pitcher who relieved him gave up four home runs. Like, sure. 
the Dodgers were good. like a lineup of destiny yesterday. Granke uh, had a 480 ERA in his first five starts of 2018. So I don't think anybody should expect us, if you've listened to this show, to come on uh, at the day at, uh, day two of the season and just start freaking out. That's just not how we do it. Um, but since I was concerned about Zach Granke, I will now take my victory lap. And as there I take, there you go, Adam. Enjoy yes, it. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> you were right. I hope everybody listened to Adam and didn't draft Zach Granke. All right. As I take my victory lap, let's take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. When we come back, we're going to talk about the good aces and so and the bullpen. We haven't talked about the bullpen. That's coming up next on Fantasy Baseball today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. How about those good aces from yesterday? They weren't all Zach Granke's. I don't think we have to spend much time on this segment. But Aaron Nola, he walked five, but he settled down. He had a very good start against the Braves. Corey Kluber, 13 swinging strikes on 79 pitches, so probably should have gotten more strikeouts, but seven innings, two runs. And then Verlander, Degrom, and Scherzer. I mean, Degrom and Scherzer themselves were uh, were just that was that, that game was so much fun, terrific. They became you the, left a name off this list. Uh, okay, hold I'm on. sure he's coming up. The first duo to strike out at least ten batters apiece on opening day since Baltimore's Dave McNally and Cleveland's Sam McDowell in 1970. <laughs> I do. Can we skip this segment? I mean, there's fun facts about it, but yeah, we can skip it. Okay, let's skip it. Uh, can I? Yeah, go Can ahead. I mention one thing about Verlander? Yeah. He seems to have brought back a changeup that he hasn't thrown in years. He threw 11 of them, got five swinging strikes, like wow. he needed another weapon, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. That's a good stat. Uh, okay, so then to the bullpen. Uh, all right, which pitcher did I leave out? I need to know. I assume you're talking about Madison Bumgarner. No, I was talking about Jose Barrios. Yeah. Wow. Who was the aciest of them all. So Jose Barrios, 10 strikeouts in seven and two-thirds scoreless innings with two hits and one walk. Last year, he had 12 starts of seven or more innings and two or fewer earned runs. And he that did, sounds like an ace to me. I, and he ended up with a 380-something <laughs> ERA. We, we certainly treat him like it. He's really interesting. Plus, if you want... If you want to point to a lineup, Heath is trying to do this with the Blue Jays, but if you want to point to a lineup that is basically a joke all the way through, except for two spots. Uh, That's two any- more than the no, Blue Jays. Z- I, zero spots yesterday. Jose Ramirez played oh, Jose yesterday. Ramirez played. Carlos Santana is not a joke. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, there those you are go. the two exceptions. But they had Leonis Martin batting leadoff, which is hardly the worst. They had Tyler Naquin third. <laughs> they had Hanley Ramirez, who didn't even play for anybody last year, batting fifth. You hold your tongue. They had some guy I've never heard of at shortstop. Oh, the rookie, uh, they yeah. had Brad Miller, who was just released by the Dodgers at starting at second base. This is the lineup Barrios dominated. And yes, Barrios has the potential to do this from time to time, but I don't know that there's any reason. More regularly than 90% of pitchers. Yeah, that's the strange thing about he's, him. He's, he's a so good up pitcher. and down. He's so up and down. But I don't know. One thing that I look for in a guy who might break out is 
has he shown that ability? And he has had a lot of great starts. If there's something that he can figure out to string it together more consistently. Uh, you know, we have a this year's breakouts uh, segment with Tyone, Castillo, and Barrios. They all went pretty similarly, similarly in drafts. We can react to their starts in a second. But we have to talk about the bullpen here. And before we get into the performances, all right, Scott, I'm giving you the, the GIF challenge, the GIF, GIF challenge, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, I know it's really supposed to be GIF, but I feel like an idiot when I say it because it's stupid. Um, you had a, a GIF on Twitter of somebody Damn. going, dude, I knew it, when who got a save? And you, was it David Hernandez? It was David Hernandez, and I had him started in an NL-only league. It was obviously, I mean, the GIF itself appeared sarcastic yeah. in the delivery of that line. What was that GIF from? From a show, uh, I hadn't heard of it. I looked it up though, in case, because because I like to know these things before I post a GIF. It's, um, I think it's called. Uh, you know, I'm gonna stop you there, because I don't care. Because okay. it is time for GIF etiquette. You cannot use okay. GIFs of things that you don't even know. It's Jamie. Oh, Jamie GIFs the Completely office. Wrong. No, Not Jamie the GIFs the office all the time. He's never. I don't even think he's ever watched the office. It drives me crazy. For as an office fan, that pisses me off. You got if you want to use a GIF, you have to know the reference, know the show, and like it. Strong no, So you, you need to know the character's it's... name and the name of the actor or the name of the show. I, I the wanna, show and I the just character. I want to make sure I have all the details right to add this to your Twitter thread of bad takes. I've ne- look. I've never seen The Godfather, and I still do. Am I funny like a clown? That's good, fellas. That's good, fellas. Jeez. Oh. That's the joke. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I missed the joke. What's that from? Simpsons. The guy, uh, a cartoon person who's yellow. Oh, it's, it's, it's the, the Simpsons. Simpsons. Okay, yeah. so uh, oh, you were doing a bit too. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Okay, we're all doing bits. Yeah, we're all okay. doing bits. We're all doing bits. We're all doing bits. Okay, so uh, bullpen stuff. Hader got a save, a two-inning save. Taylor Rogers got a save for the Twins. Blake Parker was warming up. Taylor Rogers faced some lefties. Rysel Iglesias, they tried to get him a two-inning save. He only went an inning and a third. He struggled, and he's coming off a bad spring, which was mentioned by the broadcasters yesterday on the Reds uh, broadcast. Um, why don't we stop there? Hader, Taylor Rogers, Rysel Iglesias. It's part one of this bullpen segment. And Heath, your reaction to these developments? Josh Hader was so good yesterday. I mean, just what? That was the most joyful thing that I saw the entire day was when he went through Matt Carpenter, Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung on 11 pitches, 11 fastballs. 11 fastballs. Eight. Seven swinging strikes. Seven swinging strikes, three strikeouts, and then was pretty impressive the next inning as well. Well. Gave up a home run. So, yeah, the noteworthy noteworthy things were 21 pitches, all fastballs, 11 swinging strikes. That's stupid. You shouldn't be able to do that. Um, Almost gave up a game tie homer, for what it's worth. He gave up a homer. Lorenzo Cain is awesome. Lorenzo Give that Cain man a gold glove. Yeah. yeah. That was not the only great catch Lorenzo Cain made in that game, by the way. He robbed Jose Martinez of a pinch hit homer. Jose Martinez, by the way, pinch hit for Colton Wong, who had already homered twice in that game, but it made sense. It was against a lefty. So, look, Hayter gets the first save. I don't think that's a huge shock. It was a two-inning save. Can't do that all the time. Um, Taylor Rogers, Scott. Well, oh, go, go ahead. you, you go ahead. can. You can do that all the time if you get through two innings on 21 pitches. Like, a lot of closers, it takes 15 to 20 pitches to get through one inning. I'd be yeah, surprised. Yeah, but then you have warm-up pitches between yeah. the inning. It, it's it's more than throwing 21 pitches in one inning, I would say. Uh, yeah, so... Maybe. Scott, Taylor Rogers, 9% owned. 
First of all, the guy's 16 walks, 75 strikeouts, and a .95 whip in 68 and a third last year. So Scott actually picked him up in the scam league that we have, 16 teams, just for ratios, and then he surprisingly got a save. Mm -hmm. What'd you make of it? I I think I made of it that there that Blake Parker isn't the full-time closer for the Twins, that uh, Trevor May isn't the full-time closer for the Twins. I don't know that Rodgers necessarily is. He was facing two left-handers and a switch hitter, Jose Ramirez, in the ninth inning. Uh, But either he is or it's a committee. And I think that certainly raises Rodgers' value in leagues where you are looking to find potential safe sources any way you can. Uh, and, but, and yeah, like you were saying, I liked him as a ratio guy even before this. He introduced, I think, a new breaking ball. A slider. Uh, a slider, okay, at the start of June. It had a 134 ERA over the final four months last season. So it was really dominant. Uh, so he could, he could be a really good closer. The fact that I think he's, uh, I think he's the only lefty in that bullpen. Um, I think the odds are against him being a full time closer, but you never know. And Chris, what did you make of Rysel Iglesias and the Red situation? This is what they told us they were going to do. They told us Rysel Iglesias wasn't going to be the full-time closer. He was going to get some opportunities. I would still expect him to get the bulk of the opportunities, but they're also going to bring him in in close games when it's not the ninth inning. And I think it's possible, because he came in at the start of the eighth, right? Yeah, uh, start of the seventh. Yeah, no, he was, no, he was no, going the for the two-inning save. Eight. He was going for the two-inning right. save. He just gave up yeah. a dong. Yeah, I think his usage could be a lot like Josh Hader's. Uh, Brad Boxberger. Well, Brad Boxberger, 36% owned. He got a one-out save for Kansas City. Kansas City entered the ninth with a 5 nothing lead. Mm-hmm. Willie Peralta came in. It was terrible. Heath, uh, resident Royals man. What'd you make yeah, of this? Uh, Three different guys got a chance to close this game out. They were all terrible. And then Boxberger finished the job barely. So I don't, I still believe right now what Ned Yost is saying. They do not have a closer. But if there's the little tally marks on who's closer to being the closer, Brad Boxberger got a little bit closer and everybody else maybe got a little bit further away. I would say if this happens one more time, there's no way Ned Yost is not naming him the closer. I roll this chat. Yeah, sorry. I rolled this Chapman, uh, pitched in a non-save situation, had one swinging strike. And I couldn't find his velocity this morning, but I know it wasn't that great in spring training. So just something that bears monitoring, not, not hitting a panic button by any means on a How did, how did it, how was his Adam Azer velocity looks? I didn't see it. Sorry. Adam Ottavino looked great. His slider is fun. It is a fun pitch. Uh, I rolled this Chapman only averaged 95 miles per hour with his fastball. Yeah, I'm telling you that there's something he's and not quite there yet, or old as Chapman. Peaked at 97.8. That's that's low for him. Um, in terms of the Phillies bullpen, they were basically blowing out the Braves, but David Robertson pitched the eighth and struggled. Uh, Hector Neris the seventh, Pat Neshek yeah. the ninth. Scott. Yeah. So bef- they were they were up by seven when Robertson came in. He was warming up when they were up by three. So a save or hold situation um i i don't think the fact they were going to bring him in the eighth necessarily means he's not the front runner for saves i think it was i think it was looking like the highest leverage situation because the braves had donaldson freeman and acuna do up that inning they probably would have turned for to sir anthony dominguez in the ninth if 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 things had played out if if reese hoskins didn't hit that grand slam um but if 
a different part of the lineup was due up in the eighth, and they probably would have gone to Sir Anthony Dominguez then and, and Robertson in the ninth. Uh, it's it, it's a pretty strong indication, though, that Robertson is not like the closer, even though he probably is in line for the most saves still, I think. Okay, a couple other notes. Pedro Strope did pitch. Uh, I know he was hurt. There was a talk about whether he would make the opening day roster, but Strope pitched and struggled in the ninth inning of a non-save situation at Texas. Jalen Beeks, maybe someone we should just uh, keep an eye on. He pitched three innings, four hits, no runs, no walks, five strikeouts against Houston. Uh, some talent there in the Rays bullpen. Really interesting spring, 21 strikeouts in 13 innings. He gave up a bun- bunch of hits and home runs, but... Yeah, stuff's there. Yeah, when he made the roster, I think they pretty much said that um, Yarbrough and Yanni were going to be the two, I guess not starters, but second starters. But Jalen Beeks was kind of third in line for that job. If one of those guys falters or if somebody gets hurt, I would expect him to move into that second inning starter role. It's Yanni Chirinos. Yeah, I said Yanni. I'm just making sure that people know. Okay. Corey Knable will decide on Tommy John today, and Will Smith is the Giants' closer. All right, steals. Breakout pitchers, Hyunjin Ryu, Madison Bumgarner, Elvis Andrews. I want to talk about him. So much to get to. We're coming right back after one last quick break, and we'll finish up uh, our opening day thoughts. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, here we go. So let's talk about steals, baby. Trey Turner stole three bases. Whit Merrifield stole two. Ronald Acuna batted clean up and stole a base. The line out of Shields was caught mm-hmm. stealing. So was Fernando Tatis. Eduardo Nunez and Jackie Bradley executed a double steal with Nunez stealing third. Scott, what uh, theft caught your eye yesterday? I mean, the Acuna one was nice to see. Uh, but Trey Turner obviously dominating with three after the big report leading into spring training that David Martinez wanted him to attempt 70 steals. How about 70 times seven? That's what he's on pace for right now. Yeah, he's going to run a lot. I, I mean, there's there's not much to take away, I think, from Turner and Merrifield stealing multiple bases except that, hey, look, the guys who led their respective leagues in steals last year do again. So that's, that's comforting. So does anybody feel, looking at that Indians lineup, that – we should we should want Trey Turner over Jose Ramirez, or is that, is that an opening day rea- overreaction? I think the lineup has to get better at some point. You know they they do have Francisco Lindor hopefully coming back in a few weeks. Presumably they'll get somebody else. Uh, you know they they do have a top pitching prospect I think in AAA. I'm blanking on the name. Tristan McKenzie. Tristan McKenzie. So. That's a potential chip that they can go get a bat for. There's still a chance they trade Kluber or Bauer in season for a bat. So the offense will get better. Okay. And I think that not right now, but at some point, Eduardo Nunez could be a very fantasy-relevant player. 
because Pedroia will get, I know Pedroia is already like kind of hurt, but he'll eventually be back. But then he'll get hurt. And then they just the have bad, to do Well, the bad part is that right now, at least, it sounds like they're only starting Nunez, even with Pedroia out, against lefties. I know, I know. They have Brock Holt, right? That's a very small end of the role. Yeah, I know, but he's good enough. He played hurt all year. It's a bold prediction. Nunez will do something that we like. Okay. This year's breakout starting pitchers, Jamison Tyone, Luis Castillo, Jose Barrios, they were all at it. They're all in the similar group in terms of ADP and what we expect from them. Um, were you more impressed with Castillo or Barrios? I, that seems like an obvious question, but I think there are a lot of things to really yeah, like about Castillo. The results obviously were more impressive for Barrios, but but yeah, in, in terms of changes from last year, Castillo has me more excited. He one of the things that uh, I I think made last year kind of a disappointment was that he started featuring a two seamer alongside his four seamer, and it was his most hittable pitch. Like opposing batters hit almost 300 off of it uh, for a guy with a great fastball changeup duo that should pile up whips um he, he pretty much dissed it and ditched it in this start completely did away with that two seamer and i think that's encouraging he, i i think there is still a concern that maybe there's not enough variety in his arsenal his his uh breaking ball he threw i think only 12 percent of the time no but really overall getting getting rid of a bad pitch i think is a step in the right direction because i i was watching that game and i saw one inning where i believe he struck out the side he did a- and I saw mostly breaking balls, not that many fastballs. He what? He threw 12 total. Of what? His slider, his changeup, or both? His slider. His changeup, he threw 38. Okay. Okay. So, right. We want to, I think we want to see the slider mixed in a little bit more than that. But 12 out of how many pitches did he throw? 91. All right. Go ahead, Heath. And like he, I, I'm excited about Luis Castillo. I was excited about the strikeouts in this game. But it's still a failure to get through six innings against another lineup that was like they started Melky Cabrera. He was their number two hitter. They had J.B. Shuck, Eric Gonzalez and a pitcher at the bottom of their order. I'm not sure this lineup without starting Marte and Gregory Polanco is much better than the Indians. It's um, I think for both Castillo and Barrios, the thing that I'm going to be watching for to find that consistency and take it to the next level is that third pitch for Barrios. It's the changeup for Castillo. It's the slider. Maybe they should work together in the offseason and combine yeah. their powers. But um, that's that's going to be a big thing with consistency for both of them, as well as the ability for Castillo in particular to get through the lineup a third time. You need a third pitch to do that. Jameson Tyone allowed more than three earned runs in a start for the first time in 23 starts, dating back to last year. How would you rank them real quick? And we'll move on. Tyone, Castillo, Barrios. Tyone, Barrios, Castillo. Barrios, Tyone, Castillo. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with Chris, but Barrios and Tyone, it's a razor-thin margin for me. Yeah, me too. I've got them back-to-back, and Castillo's a, a little bit separated from those other two right now, but I think he has the upside to join their group. If I could just weigh in on something I read yesterday as we go to our next group, Are They Studs? Um, I read an article in The Athletic about Marcus Stroman, and the article, I believe, cited Baseball Savant. Do they do pitch tracking in terms of types of pitches thrown? Yeah, that's the StatCast data. And they were wrong because they did not track any curveballs. And he threw a curveball, Marcus Stroman. So 
it's a tough job. I don't know how someone who's not the pitcher or the catcher would be able to actually know because the curveball looked a lot like the slider and it was classified as a slider. So sometimes when we look at this data, it's it's wrong. It's just there's no way to do it perfectly. And I well, think that that bears the curveball. The curveball's a new pitch for him, right? I I, th- I, I think. Because that, that's something that happens with these systems is when guys introduce new pitches, it does take a while for them to calibrate and recognize the difference in spin, the difference in spin access, the difference in velocity and movement. Those things all have to be taken into account. It'll eventually figure out if he threw a new pitch, but yeah, if if he didn't throw a lot of them and it didn't look that different from his slider, it might take a couple starts to to pinpoint that. Okay, I got confronted on Twitter for questioning the classification of something on Baseball Savant, so you guys better watch out. No, I'm not. I mean, I think he was just afraid. being helpful, but it was kind of funny because it's not like he follows me or anything. I'm not, <laughs> I'm I'm not looking afraid. out for people questioning the system. Um, okay, so are they studs? Hyunjin Ryu, damn, eight strikeout. Well, this was an obvious uh, Diamondbacks. There are a lot of bad lineups out there. But he had a 197 ERA and more than a strikeout per inning and a 101 whip last year. Hyunjin Ryu off to a great start. Kyle Freeland off to a great start. He was the number 12 starting pitcher in points, number 19 in Roto last year. He dominated the Marlins yesterday. Madison Bumgarner, 66 strikes, 16 of them swinging on 92 pitches. I got him 142nd in a draft on Wednesday. Um, so, I mean, like there's a point where even a bust falls too far, like we said with Javier Baez. Yeah. Um, but Bumgarner with an encouraging start. And Jim Bowden, mm-hmm. by the way, on our Fantasy Baseball Today video show said that, you know, what he was hearing from the Giants was that Bumgarner was feeling good, feeling healthy. And then Marcus Stroman, only 80% owned, 16 swinging strikes. If this curveball is a new pitch, maybe that's a game changer. Um, seven strikeouts and seven scoreless innings, two hits, four walks, a little bit high. And just two years removed from being 16th in points, 26th in Roto. Are they studs? Ryu, Freeland, Bumgarner, Stroman, Heath, go. I don't think they are studs. I do think Ryu was way underrated during draft season. And for as long as he's able to stay healthy, I expect him to be a very good must-start starting pitcher, except for when he's in a course. The strikeouts for Bumgarner are interesting. It will be interesting to see if the Padres are going to be one of the worst contact teams in baseball again this year, even with their new additions. I think they'll score more runs, but they still may strike out a lot. Watching Bumgarner, and I watched him mostly early in the game, I wasn't overwhelmed by how great he looked. It it was, and it it was like Jordan Zimmerman, where he's, he's, we're watching, we're witnessing the old manification of Madison Bumgarner. Early on in the start, he was basically throwing nothing but cutters, uh, and they were all like thigh high middle of the plate, but they couldn't make contact with them. Last year, he threw his cutter right about as often as he threw his fastball. Yesterday, he threw his cutter a lot more often, and that was the case late in the season last year. Now, the the peripherals didn't necessarily indicate a big improvement, but it's something to watch as he seems to come to grips with his... uh, Impending mortality. I don't really care look, what Kyle Freeland did against the Marlins. In um, Marlins Park. Yeah, and and kind of like I feel a little different about Stroman. I don't really understand why he's eighty percent owned. Like he was awful last year, but we also know he pitched hurt all year, and he's shown us the ability to be a top twenty-five starting pitcher. I I that's the guy that should be universally owned. Okay, I know Scott wants to get in there. Oh. Scott, why don't you get in there and then I will give the the Stroman rebuttal. Go ahead. 
Scott. Yeah, I, I was just going to say for Bumgarner, uh, I was just going to piggyback what Chris said that I, the the concern is, did he just get away with a gimmick here featuring the cutter so much? Obviously, it worked. Um, but the velocity, the velocity, the cutter was the pitch that he lost the most velocity on last year, and it was still low like that. Yeah. So I don't know. I get, I don't I don't think the Padres are just a bad swing in this team. They actually have four members of their lineup that are really good contact hitters. Um, Kinsler, Machado, Hosmer, and uh, Manuel Margot. But um, it, it worked for him then. I, I just wonder if the scouting reports are going to catch up to him. I I will say I'm moderately, slightly more optimistic about Bumgarner just because what we said in the offseason was he couldn't keep pitching the way he was and, and find success. So this is an acknowledgement, at least early on, that, hey, I do need to do something different. He's trying something out. There's no guarantee it'll work, but it wasn't what he was doing last year wasn't going to work either. And just here's my argument against Stroman. I, I had pretty much been calling Stroman a points league sleeper, and I, you know, I believe that he's great in this format. So I just have I just have concerns about Stroman's categories. He's a guy who's better than the sum of his parts, but unfortunately in roto and mm-hmm. categories, it's about the sum of your parts. And will he have a good ERA? I I don't know. I think he's like probably like a three forty, three fifty ERA. It's usable, but High whip, most likely, and bad strikeouts. And I don't think he's going to get a lot of wins. So what is he really going to do for you in a categories league? Now, again, if the curveball is yeah. something that gives Stroman strikeouts, it's a game changer. But if he's just the ground ball pitcher he is, even in 2017 when he had 309 ERA, he had a 131 whip and 164 strikeouts in 201 innings. That's not a, That's a guy who's just so format-specific to me. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly just competent innings either, I feel like, which right. which certainly matters in points leagues, especially when you're talking about a two-start week. I think the profile is actually very similar to Brad Keller, who also had a great opening day start. And I was surprised to find he's more than 70% owned. Like, uh, Keller, uh, that, that ownership percentage to Stroman is similar, and I think the outcomes are similar. Keller has two starts next week, Minnesota and Detroit, by the way. All right, so listen, guys. Uh... Do we have to? T- I guess we. It's a Friday show. It kind of sucks. We have to talk about next week, right? Um, and we have so much more to get to. So let's go like turbo speed here. Um, walk up song of the day: Elvis Andrew Drew 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 Drews. He's got the Baby Shark walk up music, and let's give him some credit. He homered yesterday. Went three for four with a two run homer. He got he fractured his elbow and small smallest sample size ever. But he did hit two home runs in fourteen games before fracturing his elbow last year. That's a 23 homer pace. That's coming off of a 20 homer 2017 season. So I just want to throw that out there for Elvis Andrews. Does anybody think he could It's worth be noting. Good? Yeah. yeah. This was a guy who was the number he was the number one shortstop in 2017, right? 2 in points, 1 in um, roto. Yeah, and that's I mean the position's better. I wouldn't expect even if he did that again to be that high, but the the homer improvements did look real. He was hitting the ball harder, and he was hitting the ball in the air. So there's there's something there. Okay. Um, news and notes. Carlos Correa sat yesterday. He's optimistic he'll play this weekend. Starling Marte was scratched with a migraine. Mike Trout had a leg cramp. Lonnie Chisenhall, that's a uh, Pirates outfielder now. He's out four to six weeks with a broken finger. And Melky Cabrera started in right field for Pittsburgh. Probably the biggest news, Andrew Heaney felt discomfort in his elbow and will see a specialist. They are concerned about Heaney. Vince he Velasquez, gone. if you dra- what? What he gone? Okay, he might be. <laughs> he might be. I, I've given some thought to dropping him. Uh, Vince Velasquez will start the season in the bullpen, but if you drafted him, don't worry, he'll make his first start on April eighth. 
and I don't think I mentioned this, but Jim Bowden had some great stuff on our video show yesterday. He predicted that Garrett Hampson will beat out Ryan McMahon, but he also predicted that Brendan Rodgers will be in the mix at some point there. And he predicted that, not just predicted, but based on what he was hearing, because he's plugged in, that Carlos Martinez has a good chance to be the closer. So he had Jordan Hicks as a bust. So just Yeah, he cited the Cardinals manager, right, yeah. on that one? Okay. It said the Cardinals manager told him something of that. Is that who? Okay. And you, you left out of his best take. He loves Greg Bird. He does love Greg Bird. He told us that the Yankees were higher on Greg Bird than Aaron Judge. Um, and I think that brings us to, well, just our, I just want to read the tweet of the day from Daniel Sequeira. Um, listening to the pod once today. Once upon a time, once upon a time, they were higher on Greg Bird than Aaron Judge, right? Yeah. Once upon a time. Okay. Not today. Not, not today. <laughs> Listening to the pod today, notice I'm also blocked by Chris Towers on Twitter. Not sure I've ever tweeted at him except to ask for advice. Any chance for an unblock? I did unblock him. Oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I, will, right. I, I will let everyone know, if you're talking about someone on Twitter and you are not adding them, and someone comes in and adds that person, immediate block. I, I, um, I have an exception. <laughs> Only if this is someone that you have no association. Yes. Okay, with. that's fine. If I'm talking about Adam on Twitter and yeah. someone comes in and adds him, yeah. that's exactly what I wanted them to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. That's I've never blocked anybody. I don't know. <laughs> Can we just have this? Like you guys that are listening to the podcast, I would assume there are well over 200 of you that are blocked by Chris. Can we just have this be a daily segment every day until the regular season is over? Yeah, let's make some judgment calls. Chris, unblock someone. Yes, I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right, so listen, uh, I got to throw some other names out. We only have about seven minutes left, guys, and we probably should talk about some two-star pitchers for next week. Uh, Luke Voigt, great start, and even though Greg Bird homered, it was a pretty bad game for him. Three strikeouts and a bad play on defense. So we'll give Luke Voigt the leg up. The fact that they batted him clean up. Uh, it tells you what the Yankees right now are thinking about Luke Voigt. So good start for him. Nomar Mazzara, Austin Meadows, Harrison Bader. They all homered as well. And Ryan Healy's off to a good start. He's batting 308 with two home runs and two doubles in three games. So let me throw it to Scott. Uh, oh, and you know what? Mazzara homered off a lefty, which is something he actually did seven times last year after doing it just once in 2017. But Meadows and Bader and Healy are available, Scott. Meadows 61% owned, Bader 48% owned, Healy 29% owned. What do you think about those three? I think the most interesting is is Meadows in terms of having the upside to impact a variety of formats. Uh, he's somebody who I needed an outfield fill-in in week one, even in a points league, Aaron Hicks. He was my second choice. Meadows was off the waiver wire, ended up going with Enciarte instead. So far, regretting that decision. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's intriguing upside there for Meadows. Ba- Bader is interesting from a Roto perspective because he can provide some power and some speed, but I think it's kind of a Kevin Kiermeyer situation where it's not going to be enough of either to, to factor in, in like three outfielder leagues. Kreef, I'm going to give you guys Frenchy starting pitchers, and I want you to tell me if you saw them on your waiver wire, would you be picking them up? Only one of them is a two-star pitcher next week, and that's Brad Keller. He has Minnesota and Detroit. Eric Lauer is 53% owned. Keller, by the way, 76% owned, most owned of this group. Eric Lauer, 53% owned. Carlos Rodon, 59% owned. He's at Cleveland next week. That could be wonderful. Uh, Lauer, by the way, has Arizona, I believe, next week. Um, 
Trevor Cahill at Seattle next week. Mike Fires. Where's this matchup? Oh, two starts. He has two starts. You don't want him. Boston and no. Houston. <laughs> uh, but anyone, Keller, Lauer, Rodon, Cahill, Fires. We don't have to just do week to week here. It's the first day of the season. You know, long term, too, obviously factors in. Thoughts? I mean, Keller's 76% owned, so I assume that he's owned in all points leagues, but he should absolutely be owned in all points leagues as long as you can use Sparps because he's eligible there. He looked good. He looked he looked really Slider's good. Slider's really impressive. It was a good matchup, but the his slider looked more bat-missy yeah. than it has in the past. Um, Lauer, for me, is just going to be a guy that I will start against the Giants, the Diamondbacks, and other bad offenses. And I thought Rodon looked pretty good. The line wasn't great. The defense was pretty terrible behind him, but it wasn't a terrible line. He only walked one, struck out six. I'd like to have Rodon on my bench just to see if he turns into something. Yeah, and the Royals, look, I don't know what it's going to be like this year, but last year they had the ninth fewest strikeouts in baseball. I expect that. Billy Hamilton, Mondesi full-time, it's going to go up. Uh, okay, guys, so... Uh, yeah, why don't we take a look? Scott, do we have Week 2 stuff? Heath, Chris, do we have Week 2 uh, preview stuff? I've got, Fortunately, I've got there's some... a. Oh, go ahead. I shouldn't have asked all three of you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Go ahead, Chris. You have more than I do. Uh, I've got uh, so I I've created a, a spreadsheet for Sportsline users that has the schedules for every hitting matchup for the next uh, six weeks or so. It's it's the team schedule, not the pitchers, but you know I do have the strength of schedule that way for for the hitters. All right, we'll tease it and we'll say, you know, if you want the rest, subscribe to Sportsline first month for a dollar with the promo code Vegas. Can you give us a couple of matchup. real good matchups? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say the Yankees yeah. have the best matchups <laughs> yeah. versus Detroit at Baltimore. Um, Cleveland's got the White Sox and Blue Jays. Uh, the Angels have two games against the Mariners and then four against the Rangers. So those are all pretty good. Okay. And two star pitchers is really what we do uh in terms of week two. And Yeah. Okay. It's really messy right now. Is it? I've got to have to very hard over to this, tell. this yeah. afternoon. Uh, okay. So a lot of TBAs there at the start of the week. Uh, all right. There, so then maybe there, are we... a, there are a lot of teams that are playing seven games. So I I think there are going or six games at least. I think yeah, there are going to be a lot of them. I just don't know who they are. I think there's only two or maybe three who are playing seven games. And then how many playing six? Uh, nearly all of them. I think there's just one that has two games off. Clayton Richard is the only one that I look at that has great matchups. So Clayton Richard's on the Blue Jays. Uh, newsflash. He's got Baltimore and at Cleveland next week. And the ma- you know the pitchers, the matchups could change, but that's the only one that I look at and say, wow, great matchups. Steven Matz at Miami, home against Washington. Would you roll the dice? Yeah. yeah I think I would. Possibly in a points league. I mean, he's he's interesting. Uh, I, I Caleb Smith is one that jumps out to me right away. The Mets and the Braves. They're, it's not like they're great matchups, but I just think he's a very interesting pitcher with a lot of upside. And uh, if I had him on my roster, I'd start him. Okay, I don't think we should go into it too much here, just because, you know, there's so much uncertainty. So we'll end the show with some emails. This is from John. Love the ranking segments. Could you get, it's probably meant Scott and Heath to discuss Zach Godley. 72nd for Scott, 
39th for Heath. And Nathan Avaldi, 49th for Scott, <laughs> 72nd for Heath. So Scott is in on Avaldi and not Godly so much. Heath is the exact opposite. Would you guys like to have a quick rankings debate? Zach Godley's good. Nate Avaldi's bad. <laughs> well, that's not helpful. I, I noticed Heath got Godley in basically every draft we did. So he, he does seem to be particularly high on the, him as far as the industry goes. And I was very high on him last year. It's, it's still possible, I guess, that he lives up to the potential of uh, getting elite ground balls and missing bats. It just seemed like there was a control variable I didn't account for there. Well, and I think um, that it's an interesting thing with the Diamondbacks. As a team, you can look on fan graphs at a pitcher's zone percentage, how many balls they throw in the strike zone, and generally that doesn't relate too closely to walks. But the Diamondbacks, like top four of the top 15, four of the top 20 in pitches outside of the strike zone were Arizona Diamondbacks. We see Zach Greinke do that a lot. Robbie Ray, obviously, I'm not sure if he does it on purpose or not. I think Godley just went a little too far that way last year. I do still think there's a ton of upside and his peripherals make it look like he got a little unlucky last year as well. Zach Ranke, by the way, I saw a graphic on the broadcast. Uh, he is among – they had four pitchers that were – led the league in, like, pitches on the corners. And yes. the second-best pitcher in that group was Kyle Gibson. The other two were pretty bad, if I recall. So It's going to be yeah. interesting with new catchers in Arizona how – Carson Kelly does, and they don't have Jeff Mathis anymore, do they? No. So that's what's wrong with Grinky. There you it, go. I mean, it could be. <laughs> he, he's, he's a guy who relies on stealing strikes, and the catcher is going to help out with that. So we don't know if Carson Kelly's a good pitch frame, or he does have a great reputation defensively. Well, we got to one email. I, I'll read these two real quick here. Uh, from Tommy, should I drop Francisco Cervelli for Austin Barnes? Sure. I wouldn't. I don't mind that. Should I drop, this is from uh, Jeff, Ahmed Rosario, should I drop him for Tim Beckham, Andrelton Simmons, Lourdes Gurriel, Willie Adamas, Brandon Crawford, uh, or Arcia? Nah. Not if you want steals. I, I don't think, I don't think Ahmed's steals potential is super high, but it's better than all of those guys. I think I'd rather have Willie Adamas in a points lead. And Will from Virginia says, my girlfriend thinks pumpernick, ba- pumpernickel bagels are gross. But I love them. What do you guys think? They're gross. I've never been a pumpernickel guy. I, which one's pumpernickel? The which way are they one. cut? The gross one is pumpernickel. <laughs> that's that's not helpful. Is it the really dark one? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think I like pumpernickel. They have that at Longhorn Steakhouse. It's great. A little butter. Great way to start. Oh, maybe I do like pumpernickel then because I like the Longhorn bread. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's what it is. I'm just sure it's not just like wheat. <laughs> it's it's a very dark wheat if it is. Well, thanks everybody. Thank Have a bagel this weekend. Have a pumpernickel bagel. Let us know what you think. For Scott, for Heath, for Chris, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you on Monday. Adios.